0: You're listening to Take as Directed, a podcast on global health policy and the news, events, issues, and the people it affects. The problem is the world is in a shortage How to of vaccines. and strength women is the role because that maternal child shame and fear health fear and nutrition is what drives this disease and keeps it in the dark. I'm Steve Morrison, director of the Global Health Policy Center at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. In this podcast you'll hear conversations led either by me or by my colleagues, Sarah Allender, Janet Fleischman, and Nellie Bristol, who serve as recurring hosts. We interview leaders fighting against some of the biggest public health challenges of our time. Hello, and welcome to the Take Is Directed podcast. I'm Nellie Bristol, Senior Fellow at the CSIS Global Health Policy Center. While the world has seen tremendous improvement in the availability of life-saving vaccines, Coverage rates have stagnated over the last decade. The U.S. government, a leading player in global immunization, is working with international organizations as they develop new strategies to accelerate progress toward global goals. On Friday, September 27th, CSIS will host a conference on global immunization to explore these issues. As a primer to that event, we take you back to a conversation I had last winter with Dr. Oren Levine, Director of Global Delivery and former Director of Vaccine Delivery for the Global Development Program at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Dr. Levine joined us to discuss new innovations in achieving equity, increasing demand for immunization, and reaching the unreached with vaccines to secure the health and stability of all populations. Welcome, Oren.
1: Thanks. Pleasure to be here.
0: Can you explain some of the history behind the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's involvement in vaccine delivery?
1: It's really an involvement that's evolved over time. So uh, I think it's fair to say that when the Gates Foundation started, it was kind of focused on the shiny bright objects, on the developing novel tools. Um, They saw an opportunity through research and development to develop kind of global public goods. And they inherited a time when there was a strong immunization platform in existence already. So it seemed kind of natural to focus on developing the next set of tools to, to build off of that platform. Over time, I think that the foundation came to realize it's not enough, that um, the if you build it, they will come philosophy doesn't hold. Mm-hmm. And that you need to reinvest in those systems to keep them strong and to make them strong enough to support the next wave of innovations that are coming. And so in 2012 was really a breakthrough year for the foundation. It's the year that we for the first time endorsed a – if you will, a system strategy, what we called our routine immunization strengthening uh, strategy at the at the vaccine delivery program, um, and this is the first time that the co-chairs of the foundation, the the you know leadership of the foundation, basically said we're going to explicitly work on making the system stronger. That has evolved since to a broad set of investments in strengthening both immunization systems and primary healthcare systems more widely.
0: So when you move to something like systems from products. Obviously, you're involving the national governments in a way that you weren't previously. What are some of the challenges to that?
1: So I I think it's been a a learning journey for the foundation, frankly, um, as we have engaged more with national governments and understood more and more the challenges that impede either immunization system or primary health care system delivery at the field level, um, you – you realize that you have to kind of change the way you're working. We've increased the number of country offices that we have. So we now have country offices in India where we've had one for a while and China. But we've added country offices in Ethiopia and Nigeria. These are countries – those three countries, India, Nigeria and Ethiopia uh, have a large uh, – proportion of the world's unimmunized children. So those country offices are yet another of the ways that we engage with naf- national governments to help drive coverage and equity up. And it's it's part of the pattern of kind of evolution in the foundation, I think, that's that's making us more impactful.
0: So are they offering technical assistance to the governments, that the country offices?
1: So there are a number of ways that our country offices um, support our work. They sometimes engage on the program work. They often engage in the convening of partnerships, the the kind of – they're great listeners, frankly, to uh, national governments, right? They, they have a, a keen understanding of – In what ways we can make support to the national governments more impactful on the ground, Mm -hmm. rather than the ideas we might have of what we think is going to be impactful dreamed up in Seattle, Mm -hmm. and that's a really, really valuable contribution.
0: Over your time in the field, how have you seen immunization systems change?
1: Obviously, there have been a lot of changes, uh, but still a lot more to come. I think that we're at an inflection point. We're at an inflection point in immunization systems where. I feel like historically immunization systems worked by looking in the rearview mirror. They managed by looking at last month's coverage data through an administrative system or last year's coverage data through a immunization survey. And they're starting to change. They're starting now to collect real-time data. They're starting to then ask from that real-time data, what if we did something differently? I was really, really impressed when I went to Punjab, Pakistan a couple of years ago and and was able to see what that state government was doing to try and improve immunization coverage. They were They were using um, real-time data systems to determine who showed up for work for vaccination, um, whether they were doing outreach, whether stock supplies and finances were reaching those places. And then they were going a step further. They were basically saying, if we build satellite maps of where people live and overlay where our outreach is being done, are we set up to reach everybody who needs to be reached? And they're using algorithms to reconsider how to redistribute where people uh, set up outreach in order to ma- make it more accessible to more of the population to me that's the kind of inflection point not every program is there yet but i think more and more we're beginning to see those kinds of changes and it's really exciting
0: so the real time data was that is that a new innovation that suddenly they're able to use or what what brought about the change
1: so it's it's a super interesting story because i think it's a intersection of using kind of modern tools Linking them to decision-making, right? Collecting data that's important for decision-making and reinforcing it through accountability. So the kinds of tools that they use were things like a simple check-in, check-out, like the kind of thing that people do when they're on social media and saying I'm at this restaurant or airport or whatever. Uh, vaccinators checked in when they got to work or not. So you could tell if somebody was there at their – stated work or not, in real time. They then collected all of that data on a monthly basis and took it to management meetings that were led by the chief minister of the province. And the chief minister then saw the results by individual, by individual location, and took action to reward or not according to those data. And just using those data for that kind of management action – led to an increase in immunization coverage um, that was really quite remarkable and and appears to be sustaining itself.
0: Are there other places that are picking this up? Or do you think this is something that a lot of countries can manage? Is that that something the Gates Foundation can help with?
1: Absolutely. So there's no question that that the story I gave you from Punjab is a bright spot, uh, in many ways, a, a kind of leading edge. But it's not exclusive to that. In fact, what's quite Interesting is the way that it's spreading throughout Pakistan. So other states in Pakistan are in their own way taking very similar approaches of using electronic data and management accountability mechanisms to, to take decisions from them that I think are also really promising. Outside of Pakistan, you can see that kind of change in different ways in different places. One of the ones I'm, I'm really excited about is, um, is India and it's really around the supply side – we're using health system strengthening funding from the GAVI, the Vaccine Alliance, the government of India partnered with um, the UN Development Program and with a small private startup company called Logistimo to roll out a national system to um, electronically track the stock of vaccines mm-hmm. in e- at every level of the system. So from the central stores to the district stores, all the way out to the last point in the field. In addition, they have remote temperature censoring in those cold chain um, equipment that tell them whether the vaccines are at the right temperature to be safe and, and potent. That's now rolled out across nearly half of the 27,000 plus cold chain points that they have in India. And it has led to a virtual elimination of stockouts in, in India in those states. It's saving India like a hundred million dollars a year because of wastage and warehousing costs that, that go down. And that was really just unlocking this sort of sort of latent management, right? The, these people wanted to be managers but were lacking the data. Mm-hmm. Giving them timely, granular, accurate data enabled them to do their jobs better. It's a super, super success story. And in fact, ironically, when I visit my colleagues in Washington State in the US who run immunization programs for the state of Washington and I tell them about this in India, they just can't believe it. They don't have a system anything like that and would love to be – In the same position that India is. Mm -hmm. So it's a really, really exciting uh, change. And I think one that you'll see um, replicating itself in a bunch of places, one that the foundation and and Gavi are both working to try and uh, make more available.
0: Are there other innovations that you're excited about?
1: Yes, I am super excited about innovation. But I want to probably define that more broadly than I think people would typically expect from the Gates Foundation. Um, I am excited about some of the tools, Mm -hmm. some of the data tools that that you just heard about, some of the really, really cool things that are being invented, if you will, to keep vaccines cold even in the hottest of environments when there's absolutely no power available. These are going to be breakthroughs. Drone delivery from Zipline is – I mean it is almost biblical to watch emergency blood supply drop from the sky mm-hmm. in a hospital mm-hmm. um, as I did when I, I – saw when I was in, in Rwanda. But I think innovations should be defined more broadly. In addition to the tools, it's the practices and the policies that people can bring to bear on the work we do that can also make a really meaningful difference. For example, um, I think we have a ton to learn from polio. The polio program follows the viruses, the virus to the farthest reaches of the world. And it doesn't get to choose where it wants to go. It goes wherever that virus is and it does everything it can to make sure that, that we immunize people and make them not susceptible to that. And in the practice of doing that, you learn a lot about what works and what doesn't. Just to give you an example, in northern Nigeria five, six, seven years ago, they started mapping the location of the cases of polio that they were observing against the catchment areas of different health facilities. And what they found is that disproportionately the cases were showing up in hamlets or villages that were right near a border – between two catchment areas, mm-hmm. what was happening is obvious. I thought that was your catchment area. You thought that I – that was my catchment area and neither of us bothered to visit it, right? It's like the the baseball that drops between the two outfielders. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that they learned was you plot those catchment boundaries and you walk those boundaries. And in so doing, you often find disproportionately the unimmunized people and communities that doesn't cost us money. That's an innovative practice that could be brought to bear on routine immunization that will find not only the unimmunized, but actually unserved you 'll probably find the mothers that are highest risk of maternal mortality or the the communities that um, are underserved for diarrhea and pneumonia treatment it's it's a practice that we can bring to our work so I'm excited about innovation and practices and tools and policies and, and the whole uh, the whole mix of them
0: and I know that one thing that also has been brought out by polio is the is the importance of accountability, as you were talking about, but also the policymaking bodies that are in each of these places. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of those?
1: Again, I think the polio playbook is so vital here. What I think we learned from polio was the engagement of the uppermost but lowest down management layer is where you get the most traction. And what I mean by that paradox is When you go to a sort of district magistrate level, a sort of mayor, uh, that level, you you, and engage them in the policy and the accountability for the policy, you both assure that you have political will and ownership and you assure that the data is coming back into the level at which actions can be taken, remedial actions can be taken. And that sounds so – patently obvious and uh, simple, and yet it's really, really important and often overlooked.
0: So the Gates Foundation is involved in two enterprises that started last year, one with WHO, UNICEF, and CDC, the Hub for Vaccination Acceptance and Demand, and another with just UNICEF, the Equity Reference Group. Can you give us a brief description of each of those organizations and how you hope they can improve vaccination rates?
1: Great. Thanks for that question. I, I, I would say that one thing that links both of those is they are born out of sincere humility. They are grants and initiatives that we've started because we came to realize how important equity and the demand side of immunization services are and how much we'd overlooked both of those. So for example, we rightly celebrate global immunizations as a wildly successful global uh, program because of the annual numbers of 85 and 86 percent of all kids in the world getting a simple package of vaccinations and and that's deservedly so. But those national numbers cover a lot of subnational uh, weaknesses. When you actually break it down and you look at the Global Vaccine Action Plan's goal of 90 percent coverage or higher at a national level and at least 80 percent in every district – We are not making it. We have lots of inequities. And and in fact, we we don't even really have the data we need to be able to track it. But in the places where we think that subnational data is reliable, only 25 to 30 percent of countries are meeting that target of 80 percent or higher in every district. So we have a lot of getting down to the next layer and confronting the consistently challenging communities and environments. When we've gotten into some of that work, one of the things that we have as a Gates Foundation come to appreciate is we've focused primarily on supply side with our investments and our focus and that's not enough. You increasingly see the importance of the demand side and that's a complex intersection. That's um, do I have trust in my health system? Um, am I satisfied with the quality of care that I get from the provider at the uh, clinic that I visit? Did I legitimately have a child that experienced a, a adverse event or a, you know a fever or something like that after an immunization? All of those things contribute to whether somebody demands vaccines or not. And it has not gotten the level of attention for at least from our investments or efforts that it has in the past and we think it deserves. And so for those reasons, we've kicked off the equity reference group and the demand hub to try and increase the attention, the coordination and the traction we get on those, on those topics.
0: Interesting. So are the, is it a group of people that you have? For each of them or how are they set up?
1: So the Equity Reference Group is a group of about 10 individuals from around the world who um, come from sort of diverse angles and backgrounds, um, science, anthropology, policy, uh, you know, academia to multilateral to foundations. And um, the Equity Reference Group is primarily focused on – Describing inequities that exist and importantly identifying the solutions are either proven or promising and pushing those forward. I, I think one of the real keys with inequities is to get people to realize, yes, it's inequitable today, but it doesn't have to be. There are examples of success in overcoming inequity. And we can learn from those. And some of those come from immunization, but they may come from other, uh, fields, whether it's gender or environment or agriculture or whatever. And we, we, we try to learn from all of those. So working on those proven and potential solutions is a big part of the equity reference group. The demand hub is, is a little bit different. It's, um, it's a collection of the organizations that you outlined before, each of whom has been doing some or something in demand, but none of whom have been connected to the others. Mm-hmm. And we have a hypothesis that working together in more coordinated fashion, we will collectively be more successful, that we will learn from one another's successes and failures and avoid redundantly you know, trying things that have failed elsewhere or both investing to uh, test out the same thing in the same place. Mm-hmm. Each of those are examples of Efficiency gains that we think the demand hub will help us to to uh, realize in the in the coming years.
0: So they're sharing best practices, and yeah,
1: absolutely, and 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 a coordinated action going forward. The first step is the kind of sharing, and the next step is hold it. If we if we have this collective view that these are the important pieces that need to move forward. I'll take this one if you take that one. And together, we will move all the pieces forward in a much more uh, efficient way. Yeah,
0: sounds really interesting. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Take Us Directed podcast featuring Oren Levine, Director of Global Delivery Programs and former Director of Vaccine Delivery for the Global Development Program at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We invite you to subscribe so that you never miss our latest episodes. To learn more about vaccine delivery and its role in global health security, we invite you to attend our conference at CSIS on September 27th. For more information on our upcoming events and recent publications, please visit the Global Health Policy Center program page at CSIS.org.